What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, it's the Tom Hartman Podcast brought to you by Cameron Hughes Wine. There's a little secret that most people don't know about the highest quality wineries in the United States and how they work. They'll say, you know, as they start their year, okay, we're going to bottle, say, 5,000 bottles of wine this year. And so they overproduce for that, produce enough for maybe 6,000 bottles of wine. But, you know, they've, they've sold 5,000, they're ready to get 5,000 out. And so that's basically all they do under their own label. And then when they're done, they've got casks of wine left over that haven't been bottled. Cameron Hughes contracts with some of the very best vineyards in America to take that essentially surplus wine. I mean, you know, it's the exact same wine you would buy in a bottle for 50, 60, 100. Uh, one of the Cameron Hughes wines I had last week, the retail price, if you knew who the brand was, was over $150 a bottle. Cameron Hughes buys that in bulk, bottles it, puts just a simple number. Here it is, lot 506 or lot 622. Simple number on it. And you get some of the most spectacular wines at huge discounts off what you would normally pay. Cameron Hughes has been doing this since 2001, seeking out high-end wine from around the world and selling it online direct to his customers. This is not just American wines. Earning Cameron Hughes Wine the number one wine brand online. It's just extraordinary stuff. Uh, I recently sampled Lot 609. This is a Cabernet Sauvignon. It was insane. It was so good. It was bold. It was rich. It had... The, the black fruit and red licorice and crushed red rock, all these, these extraordinary tastes, juicy and ripe on the palate. You got to check this out. Go to chwine.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. C-H as in Cameron Hughes, that's his name, he, the guy who started the company and runs it. I've talked with him. He's a great guy and he's doing amazing stuff. chwine.com slash T-H-O-M. Or text the word wine, W-I-N-E, text the word wine to 511 and you'll get free shipping with your minimum three-bottle order. So text WINE to 511-511. Cameron Hughes Wine. Exceptional value. Extraordinary wine. Now enjoy the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. It's the Tom Hartman Program, and uh, it's Friday. We haven't had Congressman Pocan on yet, so uh, let's kick off the day and the end of the week with Middays with Mark. Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin. Uh, his website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. And I should add, our phone lines are open at 202-808-9925, and, and the congressman will be with us for the hour taking your calls. And, uh, Congressman, it seems like the uh, top news of the day uh, you know, has to do with what's going on down at the border. Um, I, Donald Trump just tweeted this morning, uh, we cannot allow our country to be overrun by illegal immigrants or, as the Democrats tell their phony stories of sadness and grief, hoping it will help them in the elections. Yeah, this, Your thoughts, this, sir? I, you know, I thought the rock bottom of the presidency was when he referred to very fine uh, Klansmen and Nazis after Charlottesville, and uh, now I'm looking at this and saying, um, you know, you can't, you're, you're, his attitude is inhuman. Uh, it's cruel. It's un-American. Um, the way he's done this issue, first of all, he used children as pawns. 
to trying to gain leverage to get money for his wall so that next time he goes to a rally and he gets the adoration of his fans, his narcissistic tendencies will be fulfilled. Uh, but the bottom line is these are real um, people, 2,300 kids separated from their parents, still no plan even after the executive order on how to unify, uh, reunify the families. And uh, it's still a, a mess. It's, and, and he's driven people to come in illegally. That was one of the things, Tom, you know, at the Hidalgo Bridge, if you come to a legal point of entry to claim asylum, we're not supposed to arrest you. We're supposed to start the asylum process. They made it almost impossible to come legally to claim asylum. So either you go back into Mexico and risk getting kidnapped by a cartel, or you cross illegally at a river or another point, and then you uh, get arrested and you enter the new uh, sadistic system that he's put together. It's like a Franz uh, Kafka novel. Yeah, it, it's awful. It's awful. And the fact that he doesn't get it, um, all I hope is that when this is all said and done, we keep some of the cages uh, that they have the detention facilities for whatever Robert Mueller may need them for. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, it, it, it's it, it's just extraordinary. It's just truly extraordinary. Uh, also, you know, I'm, I'm not in the habit of commenting on the first lady. I, I, I uh, uh, you know, certainly Hillary Clinton was the object of much obsession by the Republicans for eight years when her husband was in the White House. And she was called everything in the book. And the same was true of Michelle Obama, uh, right down to, you know, criticizing her, her arms and her clothes and everything else. Uh, I've tried to generally stay away from that. But Melania Trump yesterday, who was a fashion model, I mean, she understands the, the impact of what she wears. And she's also, I mean, every hair in place. There's nothing that she's wearing that is, not, that is a mistake. And she wore a jacket yesterday, and, and it was not her classic, her typical, you know, $1,000 designer clothing thing. And this was a $39 jacket that's not even available anymore. Somebody, either she had it for a long time or somebody had one pulled it out and said, here, wear this. And, and uh, you know, it basically says, I don't care to you, and, uh, or words to that effect. And uh, I'm trying to figure out who she, this is basically an FU message. And I'm trying to figure out, is she saying this to her husband? You know, how dare you send me down there? Her husband is saying uh, she's, it, this is an FU message to the, to the press. Right. Uh, you know, there are people speculating that it was a message to the immigrants, although she did not wear the jacket in Texas. She only wore it getting onto and off of the plane in Washington, D.C., which it seems would you know, suggest that it's, I, I don't know. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think in general, there's a numbness to what their actions have done. You know, and I was down there Sunday, um, went to Senator Merkley and a, a number of others, uh, I think we have about half a dozen or so folks. And um, to see, you know, a parent sobbing, telling you about where they don't know where their children are, or some people were told that their kids might be put up for adoption, or all these other stories that we were told. And then to either have a coat like that going down there, even, I don't care who the message was to, it could be misconstrued. There's a numbness to it. But I, I think even more time, Secretary Nielsen, who's been you know, auditioning uh, for The Apprentice daily with uh, Donald Trump and doing whatever he wants, going to a Mexican restaurant in D.C. during all of this and not expecting to have some reaction. I understand why Miller did it, because he desperately needed the reaction. He lives off of hate. But, but she was just stupid uh, to go to a Mexican restaurant and not expect anything different. They don't understand their actions uh, are having real damning um, uh, we're paying a price internationally. Do you think it's uh, possible that they don't understand that, Congressman, because all of them are limiting their media diet to Fox News so that they, they avoid, uh, you know, having criticism thrown in their face? Well, I think, you know, let's, let's face it. Most of them are extremely wealthy people. Um, you know, uh, Donald Trump himself, uh, so wealthy and exclusive, he started a club, Mar-a-Lago, where it costs 200000 just to get in the door. Um, you know, they don't live in those circles, but they also don't care about other people. But that's not what America's about. It's really cruel and inhumane what they did. And he did it as leverage. And the bottom line, Tom, actually, even more than the fact that he wanted it for the wall, because I think he, the wall, the main reason he wants a wall, I truly believe, is because his racist portion of his supporters, this is their big issue. Oh, it activates the base, their, the, racist, yeah, the white racist base. Yeah. Adoration. But I also believe fundamentally there is a deep-rooted racism that allows you to do this. We're not stopping people from Norway uh, from coming in. We're talking about a southern border where people have a skin a little browner than uh, others. And that is where the big fight's at. So, you know, this just, again, makes me um, very sad uh, as an American uh, to see a president doing what he's doing to the office of the presidency and what ultimately he's doing to the country.
I heard a stat this morning that um, a decade ago or longer, um, I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was, but basically some time ago, 90% of the people coming across the border, and this was, you know, a decade ago we were having, in 2000, we were having, 18 years ago, we were having um, uh, 1.3 million people uh, intercepted at the border. So it was huge. 90% of them were people looking for a, a better life, that is to say economic opportunity. They were responding to the, to the Spanish language newspaper ads, the meatpacking plants in, in, in uh, the Dakotas and construction sites in Nevada actually placed these help wanted ads in Spanish and Mexican newspapers. They were responding to that. 90%, 10% were refugees. Now it's flipped. In fact, the people who came here looking for jobs are fleeing this country. Right. Uh, only 10% of the interceptions are people looking for economic help. 90% are refugees. What does this say about our policy with regard to Honduras, El Salvador, and Nicaragua? We are not getting refugees from Costa Rica, a country that has free health care, free education, and no army. We are getting refugees from the three countries that Ronald Reagan and Ali North and George Herbert Walker Bush spent an enormous amount of time trying to prevent from going democratic, socialist, or progressive in any way at all. And Honduras is a classic example. We just looked the other way as they rigged an election. Um, uh, and there's a lot of violence. In fact, most of the people I talked to, Tom, at, at the particular station I went to in McKellen, um, were people from Honduras, and they talked about the violence. And, uh, you know, I would do the same thing. If I lived in a place where I wasn't sure if my kids were going to be able to grow up or if I would live to be their parent, uh, you, of course you're going to try to find a better life. And there's so much that's great about our country that they're seeing uh, that's why they're coming here, but they're not even able to come through the legal process because, uh, for example, uh, there's a waiting room uh, where they take in people who are applying for asylum, about 120 seats. Seven people generally are sitting in there. They're only allowing enough people they can immediately process. Everyone else sits outside for days in some cases in the heat and sun at the border uh, with their families and their babies. Uh, and, of course, that was discouraging people, so then they might you know, either go to Mexico, Mexico again and risk being kidnapped or come across the border illegally. Uh, and then when Jeff Merkley went, I mean, Jeff deserves a lot of credit. This started most of the attention that's happening. Right. Then they got rid of those long lines outside because now they have the Mexican officials farther down the road stopping people who, of course, don't have any papers that didn't get stopped coming into uh, the southern border of Mexico. Hang on so just a second. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I think we need to turn up the volume on our, on our music there. Uh, uh, Congressman, you finish your sentence. Yeah, just uh, basically we're doing everything we can to discourage someone to be able to legally apply for a so that we can arrest them. And welcome back. Um, just FYI, Congressman, was the music really faint that you were hearing? Yeah, I just had no music whatsoever in the last part, so... Yeah. Okay. Thank you. We've, we've got to fix that. This is, this is a problem that keeps coming back on us. No problem. Well, let's pick up some phone calls. Mike in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman. Uh, hey, Tom. How are you guys doing? Hey, Good. Mike. Good. How are you? Good. Um, yeah, I was thinking, and it seems to me uh, that one could make the case that the federal government is actually the ones participating in human trafficking right now. Uh, I've heard from right-wingers that their defense of this strategy is because they're concerned about human trafficking, but we're the ones taking these people and putting them in privately owned uh, det detention centers. Well, uh, the U.S. Like government seems to be the ones trafficking humans right now. I mean, a further point, Mike, I think that's really important to point out is it's not like they're taking the kids away and putting them in the next room or the next building or the next town. Um, they're putting them in different states. So, you know, if you have a bunch of children uh, from parents who are being held in Texas in Miami, uh, from what I've seen is that maybe a hub for where there is some human trafficking. Well, then, you know, even more, they're separated from their parents in an area like that. Uh, New York, I talked to a woman whose nine-year-old child was in New York. This is what she was told. You will get released and eventually your daughter will. So the, the mother will get released, sent back uh, outside the United States, and then her nine-year-old daughter on her own at some point is going to be released. I mean, first of all, you know, great concern by the parents. Second, well, released to what? How are they going to handle this? They don't even have the adequate records to reunify everyone. So, yeah, you're right. There should be a lot of concerns around human trafficking, not created by them coming uh, to seek asylum, created by Donald Trump's policy. Oh, amen. 
Chaz in, uh, whoops, hang on just a second here. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, got about a minute and a half here with the congressman before the break. Quick question. Naza drove you, comrade. Another glorious day in Trumpistan. Amen. Morning, Tom, and good afternoon, Congressman. I think we need to put this in the context of it. a third world country where separating families and forcing children uh, to take drugs for to benefit a private prison system, we would be sending in the 1st Marine Division. Yeah, this is your the, uh, response off air. This is the other big story, Congressman. Yesterday, uh, they're giving these children really, really okay. heavy-duty psychoactive drugs that are drugging them to the point of drooling and unable to walk in order to deal with them. Well, and uh, when they take the children away, they don't ask a thing about the health history, if they have allergies, have they been abused by anyone. Nothing is asked. They're just taking away children like they aren't humans. Um, and then they're well, trying Trump to said they're them. animals. Well, I, unfortunately, that is the, the policy is essentially that uh, these are not people, that they're animals, that they go in cages. I think, you know, uh, from the, the initial point at a processing center where you're held in a cage to how you're not treated like a human by asking any questions about the person, to separating uh, the families. I mean, this is all policies that reflect uh, anything but a human treatment uh, of the people that are involved. Yeah, I, th I think it's a very uh, uh, clear perception that, that uh, these kids and their parents are less than humans. And, and Trump amplifies that with his constant talk about MS-13 and animals and rapists and drug dealers and all this kind of stuff, all these god-awful stereotypes that he is applying to brown people in this case that have you know, also historically been applied to black people and, and uh, Native Americans. I mean, you know, anybody who's different from the white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Congressman Mark Pocan with us taking your calls. We'll be right back with more of your calls with the Congressman right after this. Welcome back. It's Middays with Mark with Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. The co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Margie in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Listening on Sirius XM, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman Pocan, it seems like several of the policies regarding the detainment of these children are illegal, uh, starting with, um, for instance, uh, requiring foster care agencies to sign a gag order to not talk to the state who, uh, agency that uh, oversees them to let them know that the children are there. Also, the, uh, that they're being prohibited by, from touching or cuddling or caring for uh, infants and toddlers. And most states, that, that would be considered at the very least uh, neglect, if not outright abuse and the drugging of the children. How do we get to the bottom of where are these policies coming from and how do we end them? No, I mean, great point. Um, you know, one of the things we've said is the UN should be coming investigating. I mean, we have to treat ourselves, I guess, like a third world country to make sure that there aren't abuses because clearly there's, there's plenty of them. Um, a real quick aside, when we visited the mothers at the ICE detention center, we were asked, uh, not to hug uh, anyone or not to show, you know, any kind of human uh, contact. Uh, again, it's just, it's a, they're doing everything like you're a supermax inmate uh, who's committed uh, a murder uh, when instead you're someone who's come to the country uh, trying to seek asylum but not allowed in. Therefore, you had to come in a different way to try to find uh, people uh, to try to claim asylum. And uh, we're getting to the bottom of it by doing the exposure. There's 20 people, I think, this weekend at least that I know of going to uh, some visits. I was there last Monday with Senator Merkley and uh, Senator Van Hollen and Representative Cicilline Welch, um, myself, uh, Sheila Jackson Lee, and, and uh, Vincente Gonzalez, and others. Uh, we're just trying to expose this wherever we can and then also find out about in our individual states where people are being held. Uh, Wisconsin, right now, Margie, we don't have anyone held, but. You know, my colleague Pramila Jayapal in Washington had to visit a facility that had people held. My colleagues in New York and New Jersey had to go visit um, people and kids who are being held. My colleagues in Florida were turned down getting in to visit a facility where children are being held. And that's also not acceptable, to not let members of Congress even into the facility so we can make sure that the proper conditions exist. So this is a horrendous policy by, quite honestly, a, a, a president who has, uh, I don't know if he has any morals, because he clearly wouldn't. Uh, and do this. And uh, we need to make other members of Congress, people like Paul Ryan, uh, re-identify what their spine looks like and do something. Yeah. We apparently have them here in Portland, Oregon as well, the kids uh, we just learned yeah. last night. Terry in Whitehall, Montana, you're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. 
Yes, I would just like to say that I'm concerned that uh, if the poorly educated, along with us regular people, end up paying for this wall, these, this money is going to come out of Social Security and Medicare benefits. And I'd like your comments on that. They've already proposed that, haven't they, Congressman? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no question. We saw after the tax bill, not even days after Paul Ryan said, oh, my God, we have a deficit. We have to go after entitlements after they just blew a several trillion dollar uh, hole uh, into the deficit with a tax bill. I mean, these people uh, will do whatever they need to, to to go after those programs. And as you uh, identified, you know, we've paid into them. It's our program. It's our money that went into it. Uh, We should be expanding those programs, not cutting back. But of course, um, when you saw the, the price per child is something like $775 a night, it's cheaper to stay at a Trump hotel than what they're charging and spending on putting kids in cages, on mats, which, by the way, this hasn't been out much, Tom. You know, when I went through, there's no pillows for anyone either. Hmm. So um, in those uh, processing centers, so I asked about that. Where are the pillows? They go, well, feel the mats. They're cushy. Well, okay, but you still need support for your neck in order to sleep. And you have one of those, like... Uh, you know, silver, skinny blankets that, blankets that reflect heat. This is just um, done in, in the worst, uh, worst uh, way. And what we're trying to do right now is uh, continue to expose it this way, continue to get the public pressure. FamiliesBelongTogether.org is the site that people should go to. There's uh, rallies across the country. I think there's eight in Wisconsin on the 30th of June. Uh, people should go to those rallies. On the 28th, there's a big one in Washington. That's the best way right now for us to send messages in addition to calling your elected officials. FamiliesBelongTogether.org. Yes, families, uh, FamiliesBelongTogether.org. Uh, do you know who's, who's doing that? Who's, who's it's a bunch it? of different entities from MoveOn. So it's uh, a coalition. Helping, or, yeah, it's a coalition uh, of all the groups that are doing the right thing on this. FamiliesBelongTogether.org. Interestingly, by the way, you mentioned Trump Hotels. And, and um, uh, we, we just have a minute to the break, not enough time to get a caller in here. Uh, and it's a hard break. The uh, somebody got a hold of the TrumpHotels.org website. And when you go to TrumpHotels.org, what you see is a page celebrating the detention centers with pictures of the cages with the kids in them and quotes from Donald Trump about how they're animals. And then there's a special uh, collection of sections down at the bottom. And it looks like they're just building it out because they're not all well populated yet. But one's called the blacks. There's the Hispanics. I mean, you know, it's like it's uh, let me get to the site here. Features and services, what you can expect when you stay in a hashtag Trump hotel, child accommodations, se habla espanol. Oh, the blacks, the Hispanics, the Muslims, and very fine people. And, and you know, enjoy a <laughs> video great. tour of our facilities. Uh, it's, it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. You know, it, 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 it's just astonishing. Well, then let's talk about the cages when we come back on the other side of this, because I, I want to address that issue if we have some time. Yeah, I mean, these, the, the, they're putting kids in what are essentially dog cages. These are these are like dog kennels. This is like the ASPCA. Uh, this is obscene. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. It's been days with Mark on the Tom Hartman program, taking your calls for the hour. We'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan uh, after this uh, break at the bottom of the hour. You can contact Congressman Pocan through his website at pocan.house.gov, or you can drop him a tweet at rep, R-E-P, Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N, rep, Mark Pocan. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. More in Middays with Mark right after this. Hey, do you brush with an electric toothbrush or have you wanted to? If you're using one of the one of the older, bigger, bulkier, you know, and some of them you know, are so aggressive they can even damage your mouth, uh, tooth, electric toothbrushes, uh, or if you've never th- used an electric toothbrush, I want you to pay attention. There's a new electric toothbrush. Time Magazine called it the invention of the year, right? Uh, it's called Quip, Q-U-I-P. It's slim. It's lightweight. It's about the size of a regular toothbrush. It's got a, you know, a little AAA battery inside that powers it and powers it for months at a time uh, be, between changes. And it, it does a really great 
job. It aggressively cleans your teeth, but it does so in a way that's good for your gums and good for your teeth. It's a, the perfect two-minute clean. So check this thing out. And it's great for traveling. It comes with a little tube that you can drop it in to travel because, like I said, it's about the size of a regular toothbrush, much, much smaller than your, than your big electric toothbrushes. And you can find out all about it at getquip.com slash Tom. That's G-E-T, get, quip, Q-U-I-P, dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom for more information. It's only 25 bucks, and they send you the refills, the, the brush heads that you're supposed to replace every three months. Every three months, they'll send those to you for only $5 free shipping. It's an amazing deal. Getquip.com slash Tom. Welcome back. It's the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Mark Pocan with us. Middays with Mark, Friday edition. Congressman Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And uh, Congressman, you're, you're back with us. I am. You are. Okay, cool. Let's pick up some more phone calls. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Dave, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Congressman Pocan. Hey, if the Democratic Party was a ship, I am fully on board. And, you know, I hear callers call up all the time and say, you know, the Democratic Party's not doing enough to... I don't agree with that. I hear all the objections, and I, you know, I appreciate it. Also, there was this defense budget. You know, I, even though I find it horrible, <laughs> I do understand there's a lot of things behind the scenes on that defense budget, and you know, I, I understand uh, Democrats supporting that. But there was a uh, a professor from Cornell who was saying that the impeachment process legally is so difficult, he doubts even Democrats will support it. He's saying that Democrats will probably choose to, to, to not impeach Trump because it's politically expedient, long story short. Um, can you reassure me that that's not going to happen? Yeah. So, Dave, I mean, I think what has been said by our leadership, and, you know, some of us have already voted for impeachment when it's come up, but what's been said by our leadership, which I think is, is a very fair assessment, is they're waiting for the Mueller investigation to complete. Already there's been, what, 23 indictments in, what, 16 months. Uh, the Benghazi investigation went for four years, zero indictments. The Clinton email investigation went for two years, zero indictments. This one is moving forward. But right now, clearly, you couldn't pass anything because we, we're not in charge. And even if we're in charge, you know, are we in charge with two seats, with 20 seats? Uh, what's the Senate look like? I mean, those are all other variables of whether or not you can realistically uh, get impeachment to move forward. So I think the, the response that I do understand and appreciate is if the Mueller investigation comes through and says something significant, which right now certainly looks like it is with all the indictments they have, uh, that's how you can get enough people to support something uh, should it have enough votes to happen. So, um, you know, let's keep uh, being patient uh, through the Mueller investigation. It's, it's not that long, really, compared to most investigations out there, but it's having a lot of results, uh, results that could very likely lead to impeachment. Congressman, you said after the break you wanted to mention the cages. Yeah, I just, you know, so I, I really want to be clear, because they've been out there spinning, and I was in the processing center. And, you know, you actually said it right at the end, Tom, I have a dog run in my backyard um, where, where my husband and I live, and uh, it is the same material and the same construction uh, as the cages. The only except the cages down in the prospect center, the walls are much, much higher. So to call them anything but, it is the exact same as the dog run in my backyard. And then, you know, if you just have a cushy mat uh, without a pillow and this little you know, silver blanket, I mean, these are really severe conditions. And... Uh, you know, now the policy is that you won't, in the future, separate children from their parents, uh, but you'll still cage a five-year-old with their mother um, because that's still the policy. So this didn't really resolve very much. It hasn't brought the families back. But I want to be real clear on people. I mean, this, uh, you, anyone who's got a dog run knows what I'm talking about. It's the exact same construction. That's a cage. You don't refer to that as a room or anything else. It's a cage, and I, I really want to emphasize that. Thank you. Russ, in Hickory Hills, Illinois. Russ, you're on the air. Ah, uh, yeah, Mr. Pocan, thank, nice to talk to you. Hey, Russ, thanks. Okay, uh, yesterday everybody's talking about the kids, but yesterday you guys held a vote on the immigration bill. Forty-one of their own people voted it down. You got the blame for it, Paul Ryan. Twelve senators don't want to cross the full buster road. Here he is blaming you guys. Do you guys see a full panic mode on the right that this party is starting to split because of the midterms? Because 
I watched Chuck Todd. Did you guys see Chuck Todd yesterday? No. And I, because your state was out, Mr. Polkan, with the Senate race. That in West Virginia. She's up by 11, and Joe Manson's up 51 to 43 without the third party. What do you see? Do you see a full panic on the Republican side? Thanks, Russ. Um, Russ, yeah. I mean, I, I think what I'm watching is they know their fortunes are li- largely tied to Trump's. If they don't pull the Trump line, uh, they can get people on their right, their Tea Parties, and many of them still have primaries uh, in their faces. So uh, they have to, to balance that. But at the end of the day, these are at best chaotic policies, like his trade policies, at worst uh, cruel and inhumane policies, like his uh, policies with families at the border. But none of these are things that um, I think that they would want to be running on, because at the end of the day, I mean, 35% of the people are what Trump's hardcore base is, but that leaves a whole lot of people who think these things are pretty reprehensible and they're not good ways to get elected. So uh, they're certainly going to be fighting hard. Uh, the Koch brothers and Sheldon Adelson and other people who got their tax breaks last year are going to put a lot of money in to try to lie, to tell you things other than the truth. Like you said, their votes killed their immigration bill, and then they blame us. But you know what? I'm fine with the blame on that one. That, that was a piece of crap uh, for a bill uh, legislatively, and uh, it still would have allowed all these horrible policies happening right now at the border. So I'm willing to take that fight on any day. The fact that uh, they try to use the Bible to justify uh, their separating and took the blowback from their base on this. Uh, yeah, I see people treading water, and the waves are going over their head, and they're not sure how to stay afloat. Mel in Malvern, Arkansas. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. First off, as a registered voter, I just want Senator Pocan to know that I do not want any money, one penny going towards the wall. Um, secondly, my question is, with all going on in the country and what what Donnie Dimwit is doing in in the southern border and all that. At what point do you think is the United Nations and all these other going to co- other countries going to start sanctioning us for our uh, inhumane actions? Human rights Thank abuses. Thank you, and I'll take my, co- my my answer off the air. Thanks, Tom. Bye bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Mel, first of all, I completely agree. I, I don't want to see any money going to a totally unnecessary wall just so Donald Trump can fulfill his narcissism from his supporters. So, uh, you know, there's no justifiable reason to have it. Um, and we've raised this issue about the U.N. should come and investigate, you know, treating us almost like a third-world election that doesn't treat its people, or a third-world uh, country that doesn't treat its people uh, with the right conditions. You know, think about just, I think this is a week ago, Tom, so much happens here these days uh, when we had the North Korea summit in Canada. Here we are, you know, buddy, buddy, uh, with the North Korean leader, and then attacking uh, Justin Trudeau and uh, you know, Merkel and others that are allies. I mean, this president operates in the most chaotic uh, fashion possible, which is probably, uh, for Vladimir Putin, that's wonderful, right? Uh, for China, quite honestly, that's wonderful. The more we take away um, our kind of prominence that we often had in the world for uh, moral authority around human rights, uh, the less likely that people are going to be looking to us. So this president's doing long-lasting, and I hope not, but possibly permanent damage. And uh, that's why so many of us are doing things like going to the border and, and trying to raise awareness, because we want people to know that's Donald Trump's policy. That's not the policy of the American people uh, or those of us who are in Congress. Kathy in, uh, oh, hang on just a second. I'm sorry. I, yeah, here we go. Kathy in McMinnville. Oregon. Uh, Louise and I were in your town uh, a couple of days ago, Kathy. We had some friends visiting and went to wine country. Anyhow, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, my name is Kathy, and um, thank you for um, bringing up my question. Um, The Bureau of Prisons is not allowing clergy here to go visit the inmates because they're saying, I mean the detainees, they're saying that the detainees have to put in requests to see the clergy, but the detainees don't even know that there's clergy that want to meet with them. The detainees came from other countries. They don't know the names of these people, so they can get vetted. Um, I used to work at the Bureau. In my opinion, what the Bureau could do is vet all the clergy, give the list to the detainees, and let them pick out who they want to meet with. Is that the Bureau of Prisons? Yeah, I used yeah. to work there. The Bureau of Prisons is doing this. It's their policy. If you are... Imprisoned in the bureau, you have to put on a list everybody that you want to come in and see you. 
It's a security thing. Okay. And then they will vet those people, and then they will let them come in and visit with you. So I imagine this whole thing is going on all over the country where clergy are not able to gain access to go in and comfort okay. people. Okay, Congressman, your, your thoughts on this? Yes, you, Kathy. Kathy, here's the common thread I saw from the processing center to the Supermax um, style uh, juvenile detention facility that used to be a super Walmart uh, to the ICE detention center. When Donald Trump did this change, and even though he tries to blame everybody else, everyone who has half of a, a brain knows it's Donald Trump's policy changed it. Uh, they were ready for it. There was no thought put into this. So that, that Walmart that had 500 kids being held in it jumped in six weeks' time to 1,500 kids. They don't have the personnel to do it um, at these other facilities. They don't have the personnel to figure out how to handle what happens when you separate children from their parents and then keep track of them and all of the rest. So this whole thing has been done because Donald Trump did a really dumb idea uh, for all the wrong reasons without any planning or preparation. So what you said is right. How would they know to ask for these things? It just doesn't even make sense. And then we're sending people around the country and we may be putting people on military bases soon uh, because they're going to need spots. Yeah. All more reasons why we got to fix this. Amen. And the music is okay now? I can hear it. Okay, yeah. great. Okay, Congressman Mark Pocan is with us taking your calls middays with Mark on the Tom Harbin program. His website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. We'll be back with more of your calls for the Congressman right after this. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. And in addition to uh, representing the great state of Wisconsin, Congressman Pocan is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Quit them. Mark, you're on the Tom Hartman program. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Um, Mari, or is it, is it Mari or Mary in San Antonio? Uh, Mari. Mari. You are on yeah. the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, hi, I'm a Texas Democrat, and I wanted to call my representatives today to urge them to reunite these families and figure out how they could get these families back together. And the message I got from Ted Cruz's office was that he's sponsoring a bill to prevent family separations in the future and to add more judges to their, you know, immigration courts. But I don't see any Democratic senators signed on to the bill, so I wasn't sure what he's leaving off as far as, like, what is it on there that Democrats might object to? Sure. Uh, Mari, so first of all, I would recommend uh, Google the bill. I, I can't give you all the particulars, but I can tell you is it is not a bill that deals with uh, detention, family separation, um, all of the issues that are out there. But suffice it to say, if Ted Cruz felt like he had to respond, that's telling you where the public support is on this. Um, people are strongly against the president's policies. But Ted Cruz's bill, just from what I remember reading, because uh, there's nothing introduced in the House like it, uh, doesn't come close to actually addressing the issue. There are Democratic uh, bills out there uh, that do fix it, so I think that's where more of the Democrats are landing. But um, I would just recommend looking um, that bill up and take a look at people who've done the analysis on it. But it, it doesn't address the issue. It's, it's introduced to say you're doing something, uh, just like yesterday the vote in the House was. In reality, it doesn't address the, the problem that's existing right now. Frank in Tacoma, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, this is Frank. Is that who you're looking for? Yep, you're on the air. Okay, yeah. I don't know if this is constitutional or not, but I'm wondering if there, there could be some type of statute that could limit uh, an incoming administration from pardoning anybody from the previous administration, including the president, for maybe, let's say, 20 years or something like that. Because a lot of the, you know, since Nixon on down, Reagan and Bush-Cheney administration, I think people have been getting away with a lot of crime, and then they've been getting away with it by pardon. I'll take your comments up here. Thanks, Frank. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I'm guessing that there would be um, barriers to doing that, um, so I, I think that'd be difficult. But... You know, who would have thought um, just a couple years ago at this time uh, that we would ever be having a conversation because we're worried a president might pardon himself uh, and everyone around him in order to, uh, you know, get away essentially with uh, the corruption that, that's happened. It's just, again, it's, it's a, such a, a sad point for the country. But let me end it, explain it, though, also in a positive way. I was talking to uh, President uh, Trumka from the FLCIO this week about this. And what he said, and I really, it affected me in a very positive way, is he said, I couldn't be more excited. He goes, I'm watching all these people 
organize in a grassroots way across the country uh, in order to stand up against these policies and really saw this as an opportunity because people often haven't done that at this uh, large fashion. And you know, that's what the labor movement's about, right? Collectively organizing to have a, a say in your workplace. But we're watching people do it across the political spectrum on all sorts of different issues. So maybe, um, you know, elections have consequences. 2016 obviously had extremely negative consequences. But if we can come out of this stronger and more unified to collectively act and think about community uh, before individual self, uh, tra- change that Reagan uh, thought process that's unfortunately lasted for decades, uh, maybe something good can come out of this. We have two minutes to the end of the hour. Laura in Chicago, quick question for Congressman yes. Bokan. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the illegality of all this, uh, Mark Bokan. I just cannot tolerate that our system is so um, has so few checks and balances that they can, you know, commit, uh, you know, illegal acts, kidnapping children, when they deport the uh, parents and don't give them back their children, that's kidnapping. When they inject, um, you know, substances into the children without the parents' consent, that's child abuse. When they tie kids to chairs for two days uh, naked, that's child abuse. So we have laws already in place around this, but why aren't we able to enforce them? Why can't the governors go in to Shiloh and Shenandoah and shut them down? I don't understand why we cannot enforce the laws that we already have. In fact, he is uh, Trump is breaking a treaty that we have signed, and the treaty is the law of the land. Laura, we just have 45 seconds. Let's let the congressman okay. answer the question. Yeah, so, Laura, I think part of what we're, we're at the stage right now where we're exposing what's going on, I can tell you there already has been some improvement just by the exposure. When Jeff Merkley went and got turned down, uh, it, a week later, they started to stop the practice of making people wait outside in the hot sun uh, to try to get an asylum for days, because clearly it was to make you go away. Uh, you might get kidnapped by a cartel, make you come in illegally. Uh, but uh, now that practice has, has changed, and we're now making them uh, have to change conditions significantly. So every time there's another visit, uh, we're having that happen. So I, I can't tell you exactly legality if a governor could come in in any particular state and try to have that impact. I can tell you many governors, including Republican governors, have decided to quit sending National Guard down because of this. But I do believe that uh, we are at a point that, one, we're, we're, we're going to fix this condition. And at the end of the day, I think there's a price, a really, really expensive price. The president and the Republicans are going to pay for being complicit with these inhumane cruel actions. So look at that part of it, if we can, as a silver lining. Thank you, Congressman. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Appreciate Great it. talking. We'll be back. You know, in the world of work, one of the most important things is one of the things that people probably think the least about until they have to sit in it, which is their chair. And the X chair is absolutely extraordinary. This is the new high tech. In fact, they've got a brand new version. It's called the X3, the newest version of the X chair. It is comfortable. It is high tech. And yes, I'll say it. It is sexy. This chair is extraordinary and it will dramatically, consequentially improve your concentration and productivity because it's going to help your posture. And, you know, if you're not in pain and your and your blood is working, you know, flowing well, your brain is going to work well. The new X3 is quite simply the most modern, ergonomic, high-tech, comfortable office chair in the world, period. The X3's unique ATR fabric makes it feel like you're literally floating on air. And its patented split-back lumbar technology provides a cradling, customized feel that has to be experienced to believe. You need to see and feel the X3 for yourself. Go to xchairtom.com. That's xchairtom.com now to check out the X3's perfect blend of design and ergonomics. A lot of people, you know, checking these out and going for these chairs. Supplies are limited, so don't wait. Order at xchairtom.com. And if you do it now, you get $100 off. That's xchairtom.com. Or you can call them at 1-844-4X-CHAIR. This chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. That's how good it is. Go to xchairtom.com. Right now, use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get a free footrest. XChairTom.com. Now back to the podcast. This is the Tom Hartman Program. On the line with us is Dan Abrams, ABC's chief legal correspondent, the host of A&E's Live PD and Grace versus Abrams. 
and the founder of Mediaite.com, dan-abrams.com is his website. And Dan has a new book out titled Lincoln's Last Trial, the murder case that propelled him to the presidency, written with David Fisher. Dan, welcome to the program. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. So tell us, Lincoln's Last Trial, I don't think most people even realize that Abraham Lincoln was famous in his day for being a, a defense lawyer, particularly in uh, high-profile murder crimes or uh, yes. trials. So Link- Lincoln did a, represented a whole host of different kinds of people in different kinds of cases. He did everything from bankruptcy to divorce. Uh, he did murder cases. He represented railroads. You know, back then, <clears throat> lawyers didn't really have an expertise the way that they do now. And so they ended up uh, dealing with a whole a lot of different kinds of cases. And this was in 1859. This is nine months before he gets the Republican nomination. He's at the sort of the pinnacle of his legal career, but also he's got everything to lose by, by taking this case as someone who did have his eye on the possibility of a, a dark horse candidacy for the presidency. What does this tell us about Lincoln's character and how that was perceived at the time and how that might have influenced the politics of the day. And then my follow-up question, of course, is going to be, what does that, how does that inform us about today's politics? So I think that, that this case um, came after the Lincoln-Douglas debates of 1858, after he had lost that Senate election. Um, and he was sort of back to practicing law, but you know, I think that he definitely was thinking about 1860, even though he was not a, a sort of well-known national figure at that time. Um, he was sort of eyeing the possibility. And so, so this trial um, ended up being a pretty high-profile case. And it's the only case where there's a transcript of Lincoln's own words um, in, in a trial. And so you know, that makes this kind of a special document. It's not a, a speech Lincoln gave where he sort of went over the words and had people read them and, and review it himself, et cetera. This is Lincoln extemporaneously um, in the context of this, of this transcript. It was only found in 1989. Oh. I mean, when my, co- when my co-author came to me and he said to me, you know, Dan, this is the only transcript that exists of any Lincoln trial was found in 1989. It's a really compelling murder case and no one knows about it. I said, come on. A Lincoln case, the only transcript, there's no way. Um, and lo and behold, that's the case. And so what we did is we, we tell the story surrounding this, uh, this compelling trial with Lincoln for the defense, using the transcript as kind of the yoke of the story. What's the, what's the relevance to today of this? Well, on a legal, uh, sort of on the legal side, um, it's interesting to me that uh, the legal standards were not that dissimilar. It's a self-defense case, legal standards pretty similar to what they'd be in, in most states uh, today for, for self-defense. The hearsay rule, which became a critical fight in this case, uh, is sort of similar uh, to today. But I think that the lesson from Lincoln more broadly uh, today is that the reason that Lincoln succeeded in the end uh, in a very difficult, divided time was because he pursued moderation. Um, he didn't allow the extremes of either side to dictate his policy. Even at times, I think, if, if his personal views um, were uh, less moderate, you know, I think, that, I think that he would have liked to have been um, much more outspoken um, about the need to end slavery immediately than he was because he thought it was more effective politically to do it in a slower fashion, meaning the Emancipation Proclamation took a while uh, to eventually get out. Yeah, and, 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 and he had given, I mean, you know, right after the Lincoln-Douglas debates, he, he gave a speech in which he said that, uh, you know, the white race and the black race can never intermingle and, and uh, you know, should not marry and should not live in the same places. I mean, he was... Well, and he actually proposed, as, as you know, that uh, all, you know, the blacks go to uh, Africa, to, right. uh, you know, Liberia yeah. or whatever yeah, country repri- there. Yeah, reprising James, Ma- uh, James Monroe's, uh, you know... Uh, yep, yep. So, yeah. so you know, he... he and look, and, and by the way, on, on that front, you know, I think that he was... You know, looking for uh, solutions to a to a real problem. We we of course look back on this today and say, you know, gosh, that's disappointing that Lincoln, you know, was willing to consider things that seem horrific to us looking back on it. Um, and yet, if you view it from the sort of the perspective of the time he was living in, 
um, radical solutions um, simply wouldn't have, have worked. Um, and I think that what Lincoln recognized was the need to move in inches sometimes, not in feet, to accomplish long-term goals. And yeah. Although there are those I, who would argue that that, that that incremental approach, I mean, you know, when, 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 the, when the South seceded, and, uh, you know, he got into the Civil War, you know, the, the conventional wisdom was this thing will be over in six weeks. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't. And there are there's an argument to be made that had he just stepped really hard on the South as soon as that happened, that we wouldn't have had 640,000 dead Americans. Well, except that the only retort to that is that I don't know that 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 was Lincoln per se, meaning Lincoln started to become very critical of his own generals for that very reason, right? right? That his generals, McClellan um, and others, were not moving fast enough. Yeah, that famous Lincoln, letter he wrote to McClellan that he stuck in the drawer rather exactly. than sending it. Yeah. Exactly. So, so he actually you know, was deferring in his early days to his generals and then became increasingly frustrated that they weren't moving faster, they weren't being more yeah. aggressive, et cetera. So I think to blame Lincoln uh, for that in the sort of the, the early days is, you know, he's ultimately the commander in chief and as a result has got to take uh, some level of responsibility. But, um, you know, you're right that, that, that the general wisdom was this is going to be a heck of a lot easier uh, and quicker than it, uh, than it ever was. But yeah. I guess the point, the, the broader point I was just trying is making is that, that I think that, that, that our society today could use uh, a lot of moderation that we're not seeing right now. We're seeing, um, you know, people uh, bunkering down um, in support of um, extremes at times. And I think that that's where Lincoln was um, yeah. and was trying to deal with it. I, I suspect the problem is defining extreme. I mean, you know, when over 70% of the population is supportive of some variation of single-payer health care, uh, well over 75% of the population is supportive of strengthening Medicare and Medicaid. Um, to but you call know that's these, not the defining issue. To, call, not, these, I mean, to call these policies, that's, that's, you know, for example, far left, I'm not sure, I can't think of any far-right policies that are so broadly supported. But Well, but, but again, I think you'd agree that the electorate on the whole is not defining this period based on that issue, whether they should or they shouldn't. And so to cite polls to say 70% support this on a particular issue, it's just, it's, it's a important issue. It's one that is being, um, you know, certainly was discussed at the beginning of this administration a lot more than it is now. Well, that's what Trump promised. Me, he said, yeah, I'm going to do away with I, Obamacare and replace it with something that's cheaper and that covers everybody in the country. I get it, but the, but you can't pick a single issue and define the entire um, country based on a single issue. It's just you know that it's completely out of context. No, I I, I, of, I agree right? with that, but but I'm I'm disagreeing with you fundamentally on the idea that moderation is somehow a virtue, or that what we're defining as extremism, uh, you know, now now I need to totally uh, paraphrase Barry Goldwater, is a vice. Uh, it it I'm I am unable to find positions that are legitimate positions being held by the Democratic Party or people on, quote, the left that are actually extreme. Can you identify any? That the, that the, that the left is pursuing that are viewed as extreme? Yeah. I would think that, you know, I guess we could go through a variety of issues um, yeah. that are, um, so let's, you know, let's start with, uh, um, let's see, you're talking health care. Yeah, you I mentioned health immigration. Yeah, immigration. I, I, I give you a I list think. here. I, you know, I mean, this is from yeah. the uh, poll that was done by uh, uh, public policy polling. Yeah. Uh, letting the government negotiate drug prices, 79%. Free college tuition, uh, 78%. Universal pre-K, 77%. This is all voters, by the way. 77%. Right. Um, a trade that protects workers, the environment, and jobs, 75%. Oh, I, love the way that's, I love the way that's phrased. Well, um, you know, but, yeah. I, it would it appeal, obviously, it appeals to everybody. Ending tax yeah. loopholes for corporations that ship jobs overseas, 74%. Ending gerrymandering, 73%. Yeah. Um, uh, Medicare for all buy-in, 71%. Uh, disc, uh, requiring the NSA to get warrants, 71%. Infrastructure jobs program, 71%. Debt-free college, 71%. Expand Social Security, 70%. And again, these are all voters. I can break that out by, uh, you know, Democrats and Republicans, if you'd like. But these are the so positions what, what, that I'm hearing people Democrats like Stephanie Rule. These are the people that I'm hearing. These are the positions that I'm hearing people like Stephanie Rule on television constantly say, "Oh, that's the far left." I don't get it. So, so, but, but again, if if that's if what if the numbers you're citing, you know, and you're obviously reading from a from a poll there. I am. So, if, if those no, no, I believe. So, if those numbers are accurate, then why aren't 
you know, why, why, why are we seeing a divide in terms of, you know, do you believe the polls, for example, that this is going to be a closer election in 2018 than, than many believe? Oh, yeah. And, and, and I also think that it's very probable that Donald Trump will get reelected. I think that this goes back to Page and Gillen's, uh, Gillen's study uh, two years ago at Northwestern University that found that if you are in the top 1% of Americans economically, the probability of your checklist of things that you want to see legislatively happening is well over 70%. If you are in the top 10% of Americans economically, the probability of your checklist of things you want to see passed legislatively is well over 55%. If you are in the bottom 90% of Americans right now, the probability of your legislative priorities being enacted into law is equivalent statistically to random noise. There is no correlation identifiable. This is why Jimmy Carter on this program said we no longer have a functioning democracy. We've turned into an oligarchy. Okay, well, but then that, that's the answer. That's the follow-up question I was going to ask you, because, because then the question becomes, if, if that's the case, then I assume the answer is people just don't understand how much against their own interests they're voting. Well, I, mean, I, has, you know, I think right? that that's part of it. I think the media is at fault. I think that there's an, an enormous amount of disinformation that's being paid for by very wealthy people. And I'm really I'm sorry, Dan, that we're hitting this break. I don't I, this is, <laughs> right. you know, I pushed you this know? interview four minutes and now we're into a hard break. No, that's right. But that's what's paying for. Because right? I would I would love to I would love to then follow up and say, you know, what was what was it like during Lincoln's time? But people will just have to read the book. It's called Lincoln's Last Trial by Dan Abrams. Dan, thanks for being with us. Fun to be with you. Bye-bye. Good talking with you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of the news of the day in your calls right after this. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Some uh, interesting stuff going on that I just wanted to share with you. Um, some very, very interesting stuff. The, the uh, Melania jacket thing. Well, let me get to that in just a second. I, ha- I have a... Uh, oh, here it is right here. Yeah, actually, I'll start, I'll start there. Melania's jacket said, I don't care, right? I don't care. There is actually a long history to that phrase. There is a right-wing website that is selling a me no freco, frego, a me ne frego, which in Italian means I don't care, frego. Actually, in Italian, it's more like I don't give an F, right? But it was the slogan of the Arditi, which became the Black Squads in 1919 and culminated in the March on Rome in 1922, which brought about the fascist government. And it became a lapel pin worn by the black shirts, Mine Frego. And here I'm looking at a picture of a young woman wearing a Mine Frego t-shirt with the, the fasce, the bundle of sticks with an ax stuck into the top of it which was the, you know, the symbol from which the word fascism was derived by Mussolini. And uh, it's for sale. I'm not going to name the, the website. I just don't want to be doing their advertising for them, but it's for sale on a conservative website. This, uh, you know, I don't care, Mine Frego, this is like well-known in right-wing circles. In fact, they're the most famous song of the fascist era in, a t- in Italy uh, was Mine Frego, Mine Frego, Mine Frego, Il Nostro Moto. I don't care, I don't care, I don't care is our motto. And of course, what they were talking about, they used to put Mine Frego on uh, bandages when they were shot during, during the, during the uh, uprisings and things. Uh, you know, I don't care if I die for the cause, basically, is what they were saying. But the I don't care slogan is a big one with a long and deep history. So it seems like the kind of thing that might work well for one of uh, Rachel, Rachel's uh, long setups. <laughs> Hopefully somebody will tell her, I think, that, that, and, and uh, that you should tell people about. I, you know, I, yesterday when, when uh, Nate uh, mentioned to me, just as we got off the air, Nate said uh, Melania Trump was wearing a, a, a jacket when she went down to visit the immigrant kids that said, I don't care on the back. And I said, it's got to be photoshopped. And he was like, it doesn't look like it. And I'm like, you know, that's how good Photoshop is. You know, I just couldn't believe that anybody would do that, that they would take the slogan of fascist Italy, of the uh, literally of the fascists and put it on a jacket and put it on the back of the first lady as she's going to visit immigrant children. I was just astonished. 
And, you know, at first I was trying to figure out, you know, who's she talking to here? Who's, you know, is this a, a, a screw you to Donald Trump? I mean, she only wore it getting on and off the plane in D.C., not, not down there in Texas. Of course, it was 90 degrees down there in Texas with 90% humidity. Or was it a screw you? Trump says it was a screw you to the press, to the so-called fake media. I doubt that. I, you know, I'm more inclined to think she was talking to Donald. And, and, and it's like, you know, who do you think she was talking to? Was she saying, I'm doing this under protest? I really don't care. I mean, this was not an accident. I guarantee you that. Fashion models do not put on clothes by accident. 27 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with your calls after this. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. And Antoine Rose, the young man who was shot in the police in Philadelphia three times in the back, I've got a poem he wrote to share with you right after this. Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. It looks like Senator Jeff Merkley has uh, just told The New York Times that he's considering running for president in 2020. He's up for re-election here in Oregon in 2018. So he's got to get through that. And I'm guessing that he doesn't want a lot of conversation about running for president until uh, after the election. But you never know. I mean, it might help him out or it might not. You know, running for president over and over again never hurt John McCain. Certainly got him reelected over and over again in Arizona. I promised you a poem from Antoine Rose. This is This was written uh, two years ago, this uh, May 16th, 2016. Antoine Rose, uh, he was what, 17? 17 17 years old when he was murdered, so, uh, or shot in the back three times by a police officer. Uh, So he would have been 15 when he wrote this poem. The young black man who was just shot in the back a few days ago, uh, three times in the back as he was fleeing, uh, unarmed. I am not what you think is the title of the poem. I am confused and afraid. I wonder what path I will take. I hear that there's only two ways out. I see mothers burying their, bury their sons. I want my mom to never feel that pain. I am confused and afraid. I pretend all is fine. I feel like I'm suffocating. I touch nothing, so I believe all is fine. I worry that it isn't, though. I cry no more. I am confused and afraid. I understand people believe I'm just a s- statistic. I say to them, I'm different. I dream of life getting easier. I try my best to make my dream come true. I hope that it does. I am confused and afraid. Poem by Antoine Rose, May of 2016. May he rest in peace. Kelsey in Norwood, New Jersey. Hey, Kelsey, what's on your mind? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I had actually called last night on Dean's show and said this, but it just it blows my mind that he's, Some of these conservatives don't seem to understand that if you're institutionalizing children, the the likelihood they're just going to become prime recruiting targets for gangs like MS-13, the Nortenos, the Serenos, the Mexican Mafia. Like, yeah, the gangs go after the wounded people. Yeah, yeah, and they're in like they're gonna click up while they're like if we think that there's a gang problem in America now, we just made one way worse than we ever could have imagined. Yeah. Yeah, very well said, Kelsey. Very well said. Thank you. Maine in Chicago. Hey, Maine, what's on your mind? Yeah, how you doing, Tom? Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, socialism in America is called uh, democracy. And uh, the capitalists are wanting to privatize everything to make a profit and and, uh, and an unrestrained profit. That's why we, as a people, have to uh, get rid, like, get rid of the electoral college. When you look at three million votes, and you compare that. They never give comparison. What is that? What is three million votes? Three million votes is the city of Chicago. That means every man, woman, and child voting, vote counted, but it didn't count. Now, that's three million. That's the city of Chicago yeah. that they said, well, your vote don't count. Well, you know? we know. I, I, can, so I can't have- speak to Chicago, Maine, but I know that in Detroit, 80,000 people stood in line in largely African-American districts for hours to vote, and the electronic voting machines did not register that any of them bothered to vote for president. 80,000 missing presidential votes in Detroit, Michigan, and Donald Trump won Michigan by 14,000 votes. If that that vote flip had not happened, Donald Trump would not be in the White House, in my opinion. And you add that to the cross-check to knocking all these people off the voting rolls in Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Uh, You know what Chris Kobach did, what he was just trashed by a judge for doing and and uh, spot on. Maine, thank you. Jen in Oakland or Orland Park, Illinois. Hey, Jen, what's up? 
Hey, Tom, um, quick observation and then a question. My observation is I find it ironic that the same people that complain about we need to take care of our own kids before we take care of these are the same people that complain when we do take care of the weakest among our own kids. They hate welfare. They hate anything that that helps these people. So that's ridiculous. Um, My question is, can you really quickly condense um, the immigration process to become a legal American, it must be incredibly difficult because I need a rebuttal when people say, all they have to do is become legal and right. then we don't have a problem. My understanding is, uh, Jen, I don't, I don't know specifically. I've never gone through it and the people close to me who have have not shared that with me. Uh, but my understanding is it's at least a six to eight year process. And oh, yeah, it's at least a six to eight year process. And there are a lot of hurdles you have to jump over. It's a major big deal. Jen, thanks so much for the call. Great to hear from you. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for being here this week. Thank you you for your support of our program. Thanks for sharing the good word about this show to other people and, and, and helping us to grow this program, which is happening like a weed, which is wonderful. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, very, very grim times in this country, but that presents us with enormous opportunity. As Bernie said, as President Obama said over and over again, democracy is not a spectator sport. You have to get out there and get active. Tag, you're it. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 